You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. We're glad that they could be with us today, and they're ministering with us in the service to this morning. And so you've seen him before. He's ministered with us a couple of months ago, he and his beautiful family and his wonderful ministry partners. And so will you welcome, as he comes to minister in word and spirit today, welcome Jesse Comrie. Hallelujah. Wow, thank you, Jesus. What an awesome time of worship. It's so wonderful to be back here again so soon. Uh, we, we were so blessed last time that we came, we couldn't wait to come back. So when Pastor Dan invited me, I said, yeah, put me on the schedule. And really, we, we love you guys. We love this church. Uh, my team talks about this church. Oh, that church in Massachusetts was so awesome. And, uh, and so we had to come back and be with you again. We love Pastor Dan and his precious family. And uh, I'm excited for what God wants to do in this service this morning. Amen. I don't have a huge ministry update because I was just here a few months ago, but I do have one slide that's the biggest update that I want to show you. If you go to the next slide. <laughs> there he is, man. James, James King Comrie. He just, he just turned a month old, and that's, that's, of course, why my precious wife wasn't able to be here this morning, although she sends her greetings. And uh, we named him James King, and, and as I posted on Facebook, there's some acceptable nicknames that you can call him, okay? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy the King, King Jimmy, King James, and KJV. <laughs> Those are the acceptable nicknames, and he's been such a blessing, man. He's, he's so precious. We're so excited about having our third child, and, uh, and I also just want to share very quickly Go, go, go to the next slide or no one will, everyone will be distracted. Okay. I, <laughs> all the ladies will be, won't hear anything I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I also just want to share very quickly our next trip that's coming up that I'm very excited for. We're, we're going to be leaving in just about a month. Anthony's coming with me and, and a team, and we're going to be going to India and Nepal. And, uh, and I'm very excited for this trip. We're going we're gonna to stop first in India, which is where our, our main rescue home is. I believe last time was, I was here, I shared a little bit about our ministry rescuing girls from human trafficking. And, uh, and so our, our primary, our biggest home is in Delhi, India. And in that home, it's, it's big. It's a five or six story building in, the, in downtown Delhi. And uh, it's really the premier rescue home in Delhi. It's, it's, we have 36 staff members. We have a full-time attorney. We have a full, full-time counselors. We, I mean, it's, it's really an amazing uh, project that we have there in India. And so we're going to be, I mean, we've rescued over 3,300 girls in that one home. <clears throat> and, and I'll show you actually in just a few moments, I'll show you a short video uh, that talks about our rescue ministry, but also, I, I don't want to take up too much time in the service, but if you want to see a longer video uh, after the service at the table, I can show you on my iPad. You can see the inner workings and how we do everything, but just for the sake of time, I'm going to show a one-minute video in just a moment of, of our rescue ministry, and so we're going to go visit them. And I, did, you, did any of you see The Sound of Freedom, the movie that came out with Jim Caviezel? You haven't seen it yet? If you saw it, you know that, that child sex trafficking is one of the most horrific and prevalent evils on earth, and it's not a shrinking 
thing, right? It's, it's all over the world. It's in America. It's in India. It's in Europe. It's in Africa. It's everywhere. And the only way that we're going to be able to do anything about it is if the church takes a stand, right? And so that's up to us to, to begin to take a stand and push back on the evil. The devil loves child sex trafficking, right? And, and so the church has got to take a stand, and that's what we've begun to do. We actually have three homes now uh, fighting sex trafficking, and, and we're going to be with the one home uh, in India in just a month. And then after, after we visit them and we encourage the girls and spend some time and oversee things there, we're going to be flying up to Nepal. And we're going to, Nepal, so you know, is, it, it's 1.4% Christian. It's an unreached people group, right? And the Nepali government is a communist Hindu nationalist government. The two worst things you can possibly have in a government is what Nepal has, right? They have a communist Hindu nationalist government, and uh, we're going to be going up, and we're going to have three days of meetings, uh, crusade meetings in Kathmandu, Nepal, and we actually did that uh, in 2019 was the last time we held a crusade in Kathmandu, Nepal, and, and that was one of the craziest trips of my life. In 2019, we went to Nepal to do the first crusade that they had attempted in Kathmandu in over a decade, right? And the reason that no one is attempting to do crusades there is because, A, it's illegal, right? So if you get caught, you go straight to jail, and then you get blacklisted from the country, right? So that's the first reason. And, and that's, not even the, that's not even the worst reason, because the, the, the government in Nepal is, is very chaotic, and, and they probably won't catch you, you know, whatever. But the, the, the worst problem is the, the, the Hindu extremists, that are in Nepal. And if you don't know, I mean, uh, sometimes in America we get this false perception of Hinduism as this peaceful thing, right? The, the, the second most violent place on earth towards Christians is northern India, according to Open Doors, right? So a lot of times the, the extreme Hindus are more violent than, say, the extreme Muslims or whatever, right? And so in 2019, we went to do this, this crusade in Kathmandu, and it was one of the best trips of my life, but also one of the most difficult trips of my life. From the time that we got there to the time that we left, there was extreme spiritual warfare, the likes of which I've never encountered before or since, right? To the point where we were in prayer for eight hours a day, Eight hours every single day we prayed because it was that level of warfare, right? From the time that we got there, uh, you know, it had blown up that we were doing this crusade had really become big news in Kathmandu, and there was newspaper articles all against us, right, from, from these radical Hindus that was all against what we were doing there, and that became viral, and people were talking about it. There was protests on the grounds of our crusade where we were going to have the crusade. There was people who were showing up and protesting, and, and we weren't backing down. We'd planned this crusade. We'd, we'd spent the money on it. We'd planned it with 40 churches. We're not going to back down, right? So we're going to go have the crusade. And when they saw that we weren't backing down, these radical Hindus began to, to, to threaten the owner of the grounds of the crusade. And so he called us. We told him, listen, if they break your buildings down, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for them. We're, we're, we got to move forward, right? And so when they saw we still weren't, weren't backing down, and they're doing this on Facebook Live, right? So like people are showing me, look what they're doing now. They go into the local government official's office, and they're threatening him. They're saying there's going to be bloodshed. There's Westerners here. They're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. If you let this happen, there's going to be bloodshed. Right? So finally, the government steps in. And they say, you guys are canceled. If you show up, you, you go to jail. 
right? We know you have Westerners, this and that, you're canceled. And so at this point, we had, we had to adjust, right? We, we weren't going to cancel, but we had to adjust. So the night before the crusade, we changed locations of the crusade, right? And so we told all the churches, and by the way, at this point, 30 out of the 40 churches that we planned this with backed out. They said it's too dangerous, they said, what if there's a bomb? We have all the Christians together in one place. What if there's a bomb, this and that? They said, it's too dangerous. They said, you have to cancel it. And I just came to a place where I said, if I cancel, what precedent does that set for the church in Nepal? Right? They have, they've already been hiding. And then the big American guy who talks really big comes and he won't even preach here. Well, what precedent does that set? I said, I'll do more damage by not preaching. So I said, we have to preach. We have to preach. And so the 10 churches that stood with us, we changed the location of the crusade the night before. We called all the believers. We, we said, listen, don't put it on Facebook, but invite every non-Christian that you know. This is the new location of the crusade, right? And so we show up uh, the day of the crusade. My, my team gets there at 6 o'clock in the morning to make sure everything's okay. There's already radical Hindus there who found out where the new location was. They threatened the owner of the new grounds, who it was a building that could fit 1,000 to 1,500 people in the building plus a big overflow out, outside. So they threatened the owner of the new grounds. He locked the door to the building where all our sound equipment is and ran away. Right? And meanwhile, the, the team is getting attacked with sickness. I literally, I, even, I, I never get sick, right? Even I got attacked with sickness on this trip to the point where one night, the only time in my life, and listen, we're staying, even the, the, the hotel we were staying in was in a square that is infested with thousands of idols, right? It's just different there. And so we're staying in this hotel one night. I'm battling through. I'm all night in prayer. Like, I'm not going to sleep. I got to pray, right? And so all night in prayer, battling through. And in prayer, I literally heard the voice of a demon. Only time in my life. I heard a voice that said, if I can do this to you, think what I can do to your family. I said, you can't do anything to my family, devil. And I kept praying, and I kept pressing in, and I, I prayed all night, right? And, and, and that was the night before the first service of the crusade. And, and so this guy locks the door. He runs away. My, my team, my Nepali team, they call him, and they said, listen, we're having a crusade here today. There's people showing up. There's, there's over a thousand, at least a thousand people going to show up here today. There's nothing we can do about it, right? Like, they're coming. So either come unlock this door, or I will break it down and buy you a new door. <laughs> All our stuff's inside. We're having a crusade here one way or another, right? So the guy says, okay, okay, don't break my door. Don't break my door. He comes back. He unlocks the door. He lets us in. We have the crusade three days. I want you to know that there, two or three, whatever, two or three days, I can't remember. Not one issue the whole crusade. Not one. They, they stood outside and tried to look threatening. Not one issue the whole crusade, Right? We had a 1,000 people show up the first night of the crusade. We had over 600 Hindus who came to Christ in that crusade. The last night of the crusade was one of the top five most powerful services I've ever been in in my entire life. There was so many healings and miracles, deaf ears opening, mute people speaking. They brought someone on a stretcher in an ambulance to the crusade. He was healed and walked out, right? There was a time in the crusade. 
There was a time in the crusade where all everyone all at once who was who was demon possessed started manifesting demons and literally the demons were just coming out with a word. It was so easy, come out in Jesus name, done. Right? Like the power of God fell in that place to the point where during the altar call all of our team heard the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Like we were inside. Like, it sounded like an airplane buzzed the building. Like, there was this loud rushing wind, and then demons started coming out. Miracles started happening. Out of that crusade, we launched 10 churches in Kathmandu, all of which are still functioning today. Some have multiplied. (sighs) So naturally, we got to go back and do it again. Listen, church, I've come to a point in my life where if the, I'm determined that if the devil touches me, he's going to pay. <laughs> Every time the devil touches me, it's going to hurt him worse than it hurts me. And eventually he's going to get the point right? In fact, I think he's already getting the point right now, right? Every time he touches me, it has to blow up in his face and hurt him more than it hurt me. If he tries to come at me with fear, I'm going to preach louder. Uh, He is not going to stop me from doing what I'm called to do. Amen? Can you imagine what would have happened had I listened to those 30 pastors, 30 men of God, who all told me you have to cancel? The only 10 that stood with us were the 10, the 10 churches that I was already training. Like, they, they knew me, right? Like, all the other ones, <laughs> all the other ones, you have to cancel. <clears throat> what would have happened had I listened to them? <sighs> there would be 600 people who were still going to hell. <sighs> we got to stop giving in to fear. We got to stop giving in to fear. Fear is the number one killer of the work of God. It's the same trick the devil's been using for thousands of years to get you to shut your mouth. <clears throat> and we've just come to a place we're not going to give into it. So we're going to go and do the same thing again in Nepal. We're going to have a th- three days of meetings, and, and I'm believing God for, for greater things still in Nepal. Amen? Huh. And then after we have those three days of meetings in Kathmandu, I'm very excited for this part. We're going to venture out to three different very remote villages who have no Christian witness. Uh, in each of the villages, we know of one family that believes in Jesus. And so we're going to go, that family's going to open their home for us. And we're going to have house meetings, healing meetings, evangelistic meetings in homes. And we're going we're gonna to believe God for three house churches to start in these villages. One of them, two of them we can get, we can get to by off-roading in Jeeps. Okay? One of them you can't drive to. We got to hike three hours. Right? But we're up a mountain. But we're going to go, I'm getting in shape for it, right? But we're, we're going we're gonna to go to these villages, and we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And we got to be wise as serpents, right? We, we got we to gotta be gentle as doves, wise as serpents. So we're going into these villages, and we say, okay, if somebody calls the police, how much time do we got, right? So, because sometimes the villages are harder than the city, right? So we say, okay, we got four hours in each village. We go in, we got four hours, blow it up as big as we possibly can, and get out, right? And then we'll send follow-up from our people in Nepal every week to keep following up and building churches in these villages. Amen? 
So I'm extremely excited for this trip. If you, for all that Pastor mentioned giving today, I, I want you to know that whatever you give today doesn't go to me, right? I have a salary that's set by a board of directors. That's raised, okay? So what I'm raising money for today is for that trip so that we can go and we can, first of all, for our rescue ministry, I'll show a video about that, but also so that we can go and we can put on these meetings. I still got to raise the budget for it uh, and that we can go to these villages and start these churches in these villages that are totally unreached with people who have never heard the gospel. Amen? So if you're here today and you say, hey, I want, I want to support that, that's what it's going to go towards today. Hallelujah. All right, I want to show you this quick video, uh, and then we're going to get directly into the Word. Every year, millions of children are victims of commercial sexual exploitation. Young girls are continually being kidnapped by traffickers or even sold by their parents, taken to big cities, and sold into a life of slavery. Sexual slavery and trafficking is one of the most horrific forms of evil on earth, and Global Renewal is doing something about it. Through our Global Rescue Initiative, we have helped to rescue hundreds of girls between the ages of 5 and 17 from the horrors of sexual slavery and abuse. Young ladies like Sonia, who was rescued out of a brothel by our team, where she was being sold 13 to 15 times per day. After being rescued, she was brought to our safe home. She accepted Jesus, grew in a relationship with him, and experienced freedom. And now, a few years later, she is married to a pastor and working with our ministry to rescue more girls from the brothels. And this is just the beginning. We need your help to rescue thousands more. That is why we are implementing the Day for a Life offering. We are asking for your help. So how can you get involved? By giving one day's wages to the Day for a Life offering. With your help, we can rescue thousands more girls like Sonia. We believe that together, the church can push back against this evil and shine the light of Jesus in the darkest places. We believe that together, we can change the world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can stand to your feet. We're going to pray. I want to thank you. Um, for your prayers, for your support, for your love, for your hospitality, for your generosity. The last time we came, you guys blessed us so much. I was so shocked at your generosity, and so I want to thank you for that. Uh, you guys are amazing. We love you. Amen? So we're going to pray, and, uh, and we're going to get into the Word. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for everything that you're doing around the world. We thank you for what you're going to do in Nepal. We thank you for what you're doing in India. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do here in this church this morning. <clears throat> hmm. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would move in this place in a powerful way. <clears throat> mm. Pour out your spirit today, God. Father, I pray that you would pour out a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of who you are and in the knowledge of who we are in relationship to you. Hmm. We want more of you, Jesus. 
God, I thank you that bondages break today in Jesus' name. We thank you that bodies will be healed today in Jesus' name. We thank you that anxiety and depression will be broken off today in the name of Jesus. That obstacles would be removed in this service today in Jesus' name. We believe you for it, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Pastor Dan shared a word, a prophetic word when he came up that went along very well with a lot of my sermon. So (laughs) I want to thank him for not using the exact scriptures. (laughs) Or else I would have had to quickly find something else to preach. (laughs) But I want you to open your Bibles up with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading in just a few moments verses 20 to 23. And I want to preach to you this morning under the title, Nowhere You're Seated. Nowhere You're Seated. Because I, I have the feeling that if I were to ask the question today, where are you seated, I'd probably get various answers. But a lot of the answers would probably have something to do with your physical location, right? Well, I'm seated in a chair. I'm seated in Living Hope Church. I'm seated at what, what town? Southwick? What? Southwick, Massachusetts, right? It would probably have something to do with your physical location. The first thing that I need you to understand before we can even get into Ephesians, I need you to understand this morning that you are not your body. (laughs) We're going to go deep quickly, okay? Now listen, you have a body. Your body is part of you, okay? I'm not a Gnostic, right? You have a body. You have three natures, right? You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit, right? And it's interesting, I was studying this recently, and I found that mankind is the only creation that was created with three ingredients. (laughs) Everything that God created in Genesis, he used one ingredient, When he created the animals, he created them out of the dust. When he created the fish, he created them out of the water. But when he created mankind, he used three ingredients. He created us out of the dust. That's where our physical body was formed, right? He created us out of his image. That's where we got our soul, our creative nature. And he breathed on man and created him out of his breath. That's where we got our spirit. Amen? There's a story uh, in in John 3 that we all love. It's when Jesus is talking to a a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. You guys know the story. It's it's where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, right? You want to see the kingdom of God? You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what do you mean I got to be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mom and come out again? Like, gross Jesus, right? But he says, no. He says, no, you got to be born of of the flesh, but you got to also be born of the spirit. And he says this phrase. He says, what's born of the flesh is... Is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. <clears throat> Church, if you have been born again of the spirit of the living God, you are no longer to be referred to by or, or identified by or dominated by flesh. You are now spirit. <clears throat> 
This is a fundamental understanding that we have to come to because a lot of believers, church, they live as if they are their flesh, which, by the way, is your lowest nature, right? They live as if they are their flesh, they have a soul, and the spirit is some kind of abstract concept, right? When fundamentally speaking, you are spirit. You are a spiritual creature, You're responsible for a soul, and for the time being, you live in a body. Church, your body is the only part of you that's not eternal already. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He says, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, right? He says, we long to put off this tent because we know that when we put it off, we're going to be given a building from God eternal in the heavens. Church, tents are temporary, right? While we're on this earth, we're camping, okay? But there's going to come a time where we put off the tent that is our earthly body and we step into a building which is our eternal and glorified body, right? I want you to know this this morning that as believers, we don't die, we just upgrade. <sighs> yeah. what, that, what does Jesus say? What, what does John 3.16 say, Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. If you are a born-again believer, you will never die. Your body will die and you will upgrade. When you understand that, church, what becomes of the fear of death? Why should I be afraid? (laughs) Why should, I be, why should I be afraid to go to Nepal? All they can do to me is promote me. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus has delivered us from the fear of death, which is lifelong slavery. That's what Hebrews says. If you are afraid of death, you never live. You're a slave. Mm. But when you understand that you are not your body, your body is simply what you inhabit for a time, what becomes a fear? Amen? I'm going to give you two more scriptures and I'm going to move on. Are you guys all with me? Okay, good. Then I can move on. Let me give you two more quick scriptures. Romans, 8, Romans chapter 8 verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And now listen, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Amen? 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. And then verse 17, 2 Corinthians five seventeen is a famous one. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and behold, the new has come. What is the old that has gone? The old that has gone is a life of being identified by and dominated by flesh. <sighs> What is the new that has come? It's the new life of the Spirit. Church, you are spiritual creations, and you are not to be identified by or dominated by flesh. So the reason I needed to lay this groundwork is because I want you to understand that although your flesh might be seated in a chair in Living Hope in Southwick, Massachusetts, that's not necessarily where you are seated. Amen? Okay, go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. I'm going to teach you where you're seated. Ephesians chapter 1, 20 through 23, it says, That God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So in this passage of Scripture, we see where Jesus is seated, right? This is Jesus's position. It says, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I want you to note today that the right hand of the Father represents two things. The first thing it represents is it's the ultimate position of nearness. It's the ultimate position of presence, right? That's the first thing it represents. The second thing it represents is that it's the ultimate position of authority over the devil. Jesus has been seated in a position that is above all rule, all power, all authority, and all dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Church, if you can name it, Jesus has authority over it. Amen? That's good news, church. Everything that you can name is under the authority of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's his position. Look to your neighbor tell him that's good news. Tell him I got, I got even more good news. Go with me just a few verses later to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Just a few verses later. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Look what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Stop right there for a second. <laughs> Paul clearly says that every one of you was dead. Right? Everybody in this room was dead. Right? But God has made us alive. If you were your body, that would make no sense at all. <laughs> if you were your body, that verse would make no sense at all. Your body wasn't dead, but you were dead. 
What happened in the Garden of Eden? What did God tell Adam? He said, he said if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Right? So, of course, Adam and Eve, they go, they eat the fruit. Thanks, guys. Ruined it for everyone, right? <laughs> they, they eat the fruit. What happens? Do they die? Yes. But not physically. At least not right away. But Adam and Eve died. What does God say to him? He says, from dust you came, and to dust you will return. When they ate that fruit, they forfeited the breath and the image, and they went back to being dust, like the animals, right? And what happens as soon as Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he goes to his disciples. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He gives them back the Spirit. That's when we're born again. Amen? Every one of you was dead, but God has made you alive together with Christ. Now, now, now going on. Listen to what it says. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So church, where are you seated? You are seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places in the ultimate position of nearness to God, the ultimate position of presence, and the ultimate position of authority over the devil. You are seated in a place that is above every name that is named. All power, dominion, rule, and authority, you've been put in a position that's above it. Hallelujah. That's good news, church. When you start to understand this, church, it's going to change everything about the way that you live. I am telling you, it will change. When you get this revelation, it's going to change your walk with God. I'm going to give you as quickly as I possibly can three, three main things, three key things that are going to change when you understand your position. Amen? When you understand where you're seated, three main things that are going to change. The first thing that's going to change is going to change the way that you approach God. It's going to change the way that you approach God. Church, when you understand that God of his own will raised you from the dead, raised you up, and seated you at his right hand in the heavenly places, in the ultimate position of nearness to himself, it's going to change the way that you approach him. Church, too often, Christians spend their entire lives contending for what's theirs by birthright. It's a tragedy. They spend their whole lives fighting for what's theirs by inheritance. Church, the presence of God is not something that you have to contend for. The presence of God is yours by inheritance. (sighs) By nature of being a son or a daughter of the king of kings, the presence is yours by inheritance. The son does not does not have to question if he has an audience with the Father. 
But the problem is, church, a lot of people never live from the revelation of a son. They live from the revelation of a servant. And they call it humility. I call it foolishness. You've been given a better position than a servant. Right? You've been given a better position than a servant. You've been given, Jesus says, the son remains in the house at all times. You've been given a position in the house of God, in the presence of God at all times. A servant has to try to schedule a meeting with the master. Right? If you're in the corporate world, if you want to schedule a meeting with your boss, maybe it depends on your performance review for the quarter. Right? Maybe it depends on your sales record. You get a little closer to that corner office. But as a son, you are guaranteed an audience in the presence of your father. It's a different position. Right? There's a story that we love in Luke. It's the story of the prodigal son. Right? And actually, it's the story of a father who has two sons. He has an older son and a younger son. And just, I know, you, know, you know the story, but quick recap. The younger son, he asks for his inheritance early. He goes off to a foreign land, and he squanders it on wild living and partying. And as soon as he runs out of money, there's a great famine that comes on the land, and he's starving to death. He doesn't have any food. The Bible says he's longing to eat the food that the pigs eat. He takes a job eat, feeding pigs, and he's so hungry that he wants to eat the pig's food, right? And the father, so he says, listen, in my father's house, even the servants have enough to eat. I'm over here starving, wanting to eat pig's food. Even my father's servants have enough to eat. He says, I'm not worthy to be a son, but let me just go back and be a servant. Maybe my father will take me. A lot of people live perpetually in the state of I'm not worthy to be a son. Let me just be a servant. But what happens? He goes back. And the father sees him in the distance. And the Bible says that the father runs to him. He kicks off his sandals. He runs to him. And listen what happens. He embraces him. And the father says to the servants, hmm, a son is different than a servant. Hmm. The father says to the servants, bring a ring for his hand. Bring shoes for his feet. Uh, Kill the fatted calf. Throw a party because my son is back. And what I love about this story, church, is not just that interaction, but I love the interaction between the father and the older son, because the older son gets offended, right? He says, he says, why do you kill the fatted calf for this younger son? I've been here this whole time. You've never given me a goat. He gets mad. What does the father answer him? I love the response. It's one of my favorite things. I love the response of the father. He says, my son, he tells him two things. He says, you're always with me. Constant, unhindered access to the presence of God is the right of a child. Hmm. It's your right. It's your birthright. It's not dependent on your performance. Listen, I'm not saying to not pray for a long time. You should pray for a long time. The difference is when you spend an hour in prayer, you shouldn't spend an hour trying to get into the presence. You should spend an hour in the presence. (laughs) you have constant, unhindered access to the presence of God all throughout your life. You can, that is God's will for you, church, that you would live in his presence. Every moment of the day, you can be in his presence. 
<laughs> not just in your prayer closet. When you're at Walmart, you can be in his presence. And I'm not talking about theologically. I'm talking about experientially. You understand the difference, right? I'm not just saying in some abstract theological way. I'm saying you can experience God's presence constantly. It's your right as his child. That's the first thing he tells him. You're always with me. The second thing he tells him, he tells him, and everything that I have is yours. <sighs> I love that the father doesn't say, why didn't you ask for a goat? <laughs> he says, the goat was yours to begin with. He said, I never gave you a goat. They're your goats. <laughs> he said, you could have had as many goats, as many fat and calves for your friends as you wanted. Everything that I have is yours. Church, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in heaven is yours as a child of the King of Kings. In other words, church, God is still saying to you this morning, my son, my daughter, I'm always with you, and everything I have is yours. Church, God has not withheld one good thing from you in heaven. If you need peace this morning, take it. If you need joy, take it. It's yours. If you need healing, take it. It's yours. If you need deliverance, take it. It's yours. Every spiritual blessing in heaven has been given to you as a child of the King of Kings. But the problem is, church, if you don't know your position, you can go your entire life without ever even having a goat. The father didn't change. The older son just didn't know what he had. <sighs> Don't go your whole life without a goat when everything was yours to begin with. Amen? When you understand this, is going to change the way that you approach God. My goodness, help me, Holy Spirit. Okay. I have two more points. I'm going to do them very quickly because we got to pray. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to be very quick. Don't laugh at me, Tori. I am. <laughs> the second thing that's going to change when you know where you're seated is going to change the way that you fight. It's going to change the way that you fight. <clears throat> I, I caught this when I was studying the scripture. It, it blessed me. Two, two things very quickly. The first one is listen again what it says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, and, and also us at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above everything that, every, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the first thing that I caught in there is that it says he put, Jesus is the head of the church, we're his body, right? And it says everything else is under the feet. So what does that mean? That means that every ruler, power, authority, and dominion is underneath the lowliest part of the church. <sighs> It doesn't say he put all things under the shoulders. 
You know, some, sometimes, sometimes we look at men of God, we say, well, that guy has authority. No, you have authority. It's not, it's not under the apostles. It's not under the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors. It's under the feet, right? Everything else is under the children of the church. Whatever you think is the lowliest member of the church, everything else is under them. Amen? And then look what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and this is the quintessential spiritual warfare chapter of the Bible, right? Ephesians 6, 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but listen to what we wrestle against. We wrestle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and then it doesn't say dominions, but it describes it, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So wait a minute, what do we wrestle against? We wrestle against rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. What are we seated above in Ephesians chapter 1? Rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. Church, everything that you wrestle with is under you. You have a position of authority over every demonic force that would try to come against you. So yes, while we're in this life, we wrestle, right? And wrestling can be intense combat, but we wrestle from above. Amen? We wrestle from a position of victory. Like this is how we wrestle, right? We stomp on his head because he's under our feet. But you got to know your position because it's not a fair fight, church. You are not weak. The devil has no right to beat up on you. You're not in a position of weakness, but in a position of strength. But if you don't know your position, you might make the mistake of making it a fair fight. Yeah, the the Bible says the devil prowls around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. First of all, he's not the lion. The lion's with me, right? Second of all, why does he have to seek whom he may devour? Because he can't devour everybody. If you know who you are, if you know your position, he can't devour you, right? You're above him. The only thing that, that, that he hopes is that you'll lay down on the ground next to him and make it a fair fight. The only way that he can devour you is if you forfeit your position. When I look around this room, there's some pretty big dudes in this room. There's probably some people in here where if me and you got in a fist fight, you'd win. Okay, maybe you could beat me up in a fist fight, all right? But listen, here's the rules of the fight, okay? You got to lay on your ground. You got to lay on the ground and you can't get off the ground, okay? And I'm going to start with my size 13 boot on your face, (laughs) all right? (laughs) You can't beat me at that point. It's not a fair fight, right? And if you still think you can beat me, I want you to meet me in the parking lot. After the service, we're going to settle this. It's not a fair fight. Church, we are not in a fair fight. We are fighting a foe that was defeated for us. Don't forfeit. Don't forfeit your position, right? The only thing he hopes is that you'll take his, his, hit your foot off his face and lay down next to him and say, okay, let's fight. You're not weak. You have victory over every attack of the devil that will come against you. But you got to stand in your authority and put him in his place. I'm sick of seeing people beat up by the devil. I am sick of seeing Christians getting beaten up by the devil. You got to take back ground. Amen. Stand up in authority and tell him to get back in his place. Amen. Very quickly, the third thing that's going to change. I told you I was going to be quick. (laughs) Very quickly, the third thing that's going to change. 
is going to change the way that you pray. Because no longer, let me get the team, come, come, Kaika, come, come play some guitar for me. It always helps me to remember to stop talking. It's going to change the way that you pray, church. Because no longer will you be praying from earth toward heaven. That's the prayer of a servant. You'll be praying from heaven towards earth. That's the prayer of a son. Because the son remains in the house at all times. And church, sometimes the only thing that you need to have the adequate level of faith to see the breakthrough that you're believing for is a change of perspective. <laughs> because if you walk, you know, Jesus says, if you, if you speak to a mountain and tell it to move and have faith and don't doubt in your heart, that mountain is going to be taken up and thrown into the sea. That's a promise, that's a promise of Scripture, right? But if you walk up to a mountain from earth's perspective it's too big and and the prayer from earth's perspective sounds like this god this mountain is so big please don't you see what's happening to me please do something about this mountain god right like so often our prayers sound like but when you see the same mountain from heaven's perspective all of a sudden, the mountain is this big, right? The mountain didn't change. Your perspective did. And all of a sudden, the prayer becomes move in Jesus' name. <laughs> Get out of my way. Move. <clears throat> Church, when you get this in your spirit, I'm, I'm talking about not just understanding it in your mind, understanding it in your spirit. This becomes your reality. This becomes revelation for you. When you get this, your prayers are going to sound drastically different. <sighs> You're going to start to pray like the apostles prayed. <sighs> when Peter walked up to the man at the gate of beautiful who was laying crippled, can you imagine if he prayed one of our prayers? Check, check. Okay. Can you imagine if he prayed one of our prayers? If he knelt down beside the crippled guy and he said, God, if you're not too busy, <clears throat> please comfort my friend today. Bring him something to eat today. My favorite one. God, give the doctors wisdom. Sorry. Uh, but we're praying to the great physician to give the little physician wisdom. That's not the way the apostles prayed. Right? What did Peter do? He walks up to this guy who's been crippled, laying there for, for decades. Right? And he walks up to this guy and he says, listen, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. 
He understood that he had something to give. Peter understood that Jesus already gave him authority in Matthew chapter 10 to heal all manners of diseases and sicknesses. That's what I said. He knew he had it. He already had the authority. He didn't have to ask God in the moment for the authority because he knew that he had the authority. So he walks up to the man at the gate of beautiful and he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And immediately the man leapt up and began to jump and dance and praise God. That's a prayer from heaven's perspective. (sighs) We got to have a different perspective, church. We got to have a perspective change in our lives. Church, it is a powerful thing to pray from the place where the answered prayer comes from. Hmm. I'm going to say that to this side of the room. It's a powerful thing to pray from the place where the answer comes from. Where does every good and perfect gift come from? From above coming down from the Father of lights. It's different when you pray from there. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this last thought, and then we'll go into a time of, of prayer. We'll, we'll end with the worship song. I'm going to leave you with this one last thought. I have literally changed the way that I pray. <clears throat> I used to always pray. Whenever I talked to God throughout the day, I'd look up. Because I was always taught, that God's way up there and I'm way down here. So if I look up, maybe my voice will carry. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd always look up whenever I talk to God. I've literally changed the way that I pray. So now that when I talk to my father throughout the day, I don't look up. I look to the left. (laughs) Because I'm at his right hand. I'm in the... Listen, there's no... There's no weird thing about where you turn your neck, right? It's a reminder to myself of where I'm seated. It's a reminder to myself that I am seated in the ultimate position of nearness to my dad and the ultimate position of authority over the devil. So that when I pray, I got to pray from that position. Amen? You guys can take that. Make it your own. You're going to have a bunch of people looking to the left. Every church service. (laughs) Stand to your feet with me. We're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. (sighs) Jesus. (sighs) Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move in this place. God, that everything that was said today, that you would give us revelation of our position, of where we are in you, God. And Father, I thank you that obstacles that have been stubbornly standing in people's way move today in Jesus' name. Obstacles of sickness move today in Jesus' name. 
Obstacles of anxiety move today in Jesus' name. Obstacles of debt, they have to move today in Jesus' name. Obstacles of family problems have to move today in Jesus' name. We're going we're gonna to end with a time of worship right now. We're going to end with a song. And if you're here today, and if you've had an obstacle in your life that's been stubbornly standing in the way and not moving, whatever it might be, if it's sickness, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, if it's, if it's uh, finances, whatever it is, if you have an obstacle that's been stubbornly standing in your way, we're going to pray together from heaven's perspective, and we're going to see mountains move today in Jesus' name. Amen? We're going to see obstacles move. We're going to see storms stop in the name of Jesus. So if that's you and you need prayer this morning, I just want to invite you during this last song. I'm going to be up here with Anthony. And I want to invite you, if you're here and you need something to move out of your life, come up to the front. I want to pray with you and we're going to see mountains move today. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.